Welcome to another intriguing episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm pleased to call him a friend and longtime acquaintance. He is actor, director, producer Dan Florick from L.A. Law and, of course, the multiple seasons, some 15-plus seasons on Law & Order playing Captain Don Cragen. Well, I remember my dad asking me, you know, if this doesn't work out, what are you going to do? And I said, Pop, I have a backup plan. I said, I'm going to give this 80 years, and if it doesn't work, I'm going to find something else. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? Never thought I'd wind up on a show that was going to last for years and years and years. But I'm grateful. It's a good show. It's a quality show. It's a part of television history. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me is my good friend and our co-host, Fred Keating. We are in Hollywood, California. We are at the lovely Chateau Marmot. The iconic Chateau Marmot. We are on the cool side of the pool side and uh, separated by just a stone's throw and a bunch of bamboo and palm fronds from the legendary Sunset Boulevard. And we have a very special guest today. We do. Uh, I'm pleased to call him a friend and longtime acquaintance. He is actor, director, producer Dan Florick, who television audiences must know from L.A. Law and, of course, the multiple seasons, some 15-plus seasons on uh, Law & Order playing uh, Captain Don Cragen. Dan, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure, absolutely. It's great to see you again. And you. We should do this every 40 years. Dan and I went to school together. Now, speaking of your university days, before we started to roll, you were telling me that you initially wanted to become a mathematician. Well, I did start. When I was in high school, I was in an accelerated math class. Well, all different forms, but then we were into calculus, and we did four semesters of calculus. It was accredited through Eastern Michigan University. In essence, I was already not enrolled, but I, I could enroll there. And so when I was trying to decide where I was going to go to college, it got very confusing and I went, you know what? I'm already at Eastern Michigan University. I'm going to go there. The transition happened pretty seamlessly and by accident, but I was a musician at the time doing all of the work in the math and physics program. And then all of a sudden, one of the classes I had to take was synthetic projective geometry. But I was also in a production of Paint Your Wagon, and that sounded like more fun. So, and there were more girls, as I remember. I'm pretty sure that was part of it. Wasn't for me. I was the stage manager with 475 cues to call. For that show? You betcha. Uh -huh. That was me in the corner in the dark. I'm going to throw this out. You know, we had to drink. We had to sing Hand Me Down That Can of Beans, and we had to drink a lot of whiskey. Well, the whiskey was tea, right? Well... At one point, there was some old tea in there. Well, that meant that uh, my character, and I can't remember his name right now, got the um, runs, shall we say. So I was sitting downstairs in the loo. I heard my cue coming. 
I couldn't get up and get ready fast enough. And as I was running up the spiral stairs in the back, I heard Ed McCriskey singing my lines. And I thought that was the end of my career. I was so devastated. I waited for Bob McAlee to come back and I said, I'm very sorry, I, I, I won't do this anymore, I'm finished. And he went, everybody makes a mistake. Don't let that one happen again. See you tomorrow. Nice, that's Big Mac. Tell us about the Richard III, because that's the iconic one that people of our class or our generation at that university remember. First of all, as you know, uh, also a mutual friend, Peter Muskamp had come over from England on an exchange program and he was directing it. And I had done a little Shakespeare, but I really wanted to do that role. Some people thought I shouldn't do it, but Peter said, no, you're the guy. And I don't think I ever worked harder or was more dedicated. I guess the most important thing about it is doing that role in that production is when I knew without a doubt that I was going to be an actor. What did you learn in those early days about what it would take to be a successful actor? Well that's a very good question but I will say this I never thought of it in those terms at that time. I would see a role, I would love the show, I would want to do it and uh, not in a selfish way at all it was about the storytelling and it was about uh, the sense of community I never thought about reviews. I mean, I still don't really. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I remember my dad asking me, you know, if this doesn't work out, what are you gonna do? And I said, Pop, I have a backup plan. I said, I'm gonna give this 80 years, and if it doesn't work, I'm gonna find something else. <laughs> that's, the, that's the answer I wish I had for my dad. I had some kind of a gut feeling that it was gonna work out. It has worked out, and, and also, no, no uh, not in a way that I ever thought. I mean, I never, I never thought I would wind up uh, doing so much television. It was all about the theater. What did it take for you to break into television in a big way? Well, again, you know what? It came from the theater. You just said Sunset Boulevard. I was doing a show. It was, uh, it was the music of Randy Newman. Now, I had been doing a lot of stuff, and it was called, the production was called Maybe I'm Doing It Wrong. But we got to work with Randy Newman, and it was right here on Sunset Boulevard at the Roxy Theater. A number of producers saw me in that show, and that led to doing uh, a number of guest spots, like on uh, Hill Street Blues and shows like that. But one of the producers, Joe Stern, was one of the original creators and producers on Law & Order. So he invited me in. We actually did, uh, I don't even know, like a um, after-school special or something. But when the pilot for Law & Order came along, he said, I want you to come in. And by the time I got home, yeah, by the time I got home, the phone was ringing and they were offering me the role. So it came, you know, so much that I've done has come from somebody seeing me on stage in a play. So was it theater then, Dan, that brought you to L.A.? not TV and film. Yes. Oh yeah. I, um, it was La Jolla Playhouse. We auditioned in New York and Des McEnough. He w uh, was auditioning and I came in and did it and uh, down with a bunch of buddies. John Goodman, who is still a very, very dear friend, a lot of people, and we went down and worked there. And then while I was doing that, that led to some television, some small movie parts. So I worked there for a couple of years, and then the people at the Old Globe Theater 
in San Diego, just down the road, they started hiring me. What did you learn about auditioning in those days? What I learned is to always uh, be yourself and to do how you think it should be, because we're all unique in our ways. And I remember some of the best roles I ever got. I would walk into the room and I'd see nobody looked like me. And I'd go, well, that means I should be me. Instead of trying to do something else or what I thought they might want looking at the other people, I said, I'm gonna be Dan. And more often than not, whenever I did that, I got the role. I guess the reason, if there's a reason that came to me later, it would be if I tried to do what I thought they wanted me to do, and it didn't quite feel comfortable, and I didn't get the part, I always wondered what would have happened if I did what I wanted. So once that clicked for me, I just did, you know, I, if I'm gonna lose it, I'm gonna lose it my way. And how important has your agent been in getting you those auditions in the first place? I've had a handful of agents that were very, very good, and, and a big part of that is them knowing casting agents and producers and things like that. So they set up the opportunities, and then I always feel the actor then gets the job. Then the agent takes care of the rest of that and the deal and all of those kinds of things, you know, that I don't want to deal with or that uh, many of us don't. But I, I've been blessed with a, just a handful of agents. I mean, I was with one until she retired for about 28 years. So you've been well served. Well served indeed. And uh, like I say, a lot of times if you're doing one law and order, they just offer you the other one. You know what I mean? The agent isn't going to be involved so much in the auditioning and situations like that because then just offers come. But then they take care of the rest of that and also are very in tune with your creative process or my creative process and very understanding if I say I understand that sounds like a good offer it's not a role I want to play so that they're just as in tune when I say I don't want to do that as to when I say I do want to do that especially if the one I want to do is paying way less you know because it's all part of the tapestry indeed a clever agent one with a, a, a relationship that you have nurtured and sustained and I, I know that's a two-way deal that's a pretty happy marriage you know what i'm gonna have to call her and tell her we were married but yes yes that's what my agent said to me whether you like it or not buddy yeah so if you got a problem you better tell me and if i got a problem i'll tell you i agree and here's what i would say about that in any good meaningful relationship it's got to go both ways and you have to learn about and from each other, you start thinking as one, I think, when, you know, when you've been together that long. We've talked to a number of uh, performers, Dan, about what they do or have done in the past to kind of put themselves on the radar of a particular producer or marketplace, so to speak. Now, with the streak that you've had on, on Law & Order, uh, you've put yourself on an international radar. What are the benefits the advantages and potential disadvantages of being so closely associated with one character for so many years? Let, we'll start with the benefits. And first of all, it's always kind of terrific to get a long running show or even uh, in some way a hit show. It's always exciting at the beginning. It's, you, it's, it's wonderful to essay that role. It's wonderful to have new episodes, new storylines, all those kinds of things. 
Uh, the catch-22 uh, winds up being, when you do get identified with that, it's hard to break that. So what I've been doing lately is I don't do or don't accept any roles that are like that now. It doesn't sound like that would be a hard transition for you, giving your toolkit as a performer, but perhaps a hard transition for people, audiences, or people within the industry who associate you with the, uh, the visual and the aural definition of Captain Don Cragen. The problem to a certain extent is this, that some people will have only seen uh, me play Captain Donald Cragen in the Law & Order brand. Many others know that I've done hundreds of other episodes of other shows. Uh, many of them who have been around for years have seen me on the stage and they have seen productions. The other side of that is that's when I'll often just say, let me come in, just let me come in and read for the other role. You're offering me this one. I really don't want to do that one. I will come in and read for you. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. I went in for a movie, and I'm not going to say the movie because obviously many people probably saw it and somebody else played the role, but I went in, I read, I had like three callbacks, and I had the role. I was going to do the role. The director went home, said to his girlfriend, we got this guy, I love him, Dan Florek. And she said, Oh my God, I love him. I watch him eight times a day on Law and & Order. And he said, what? He didn't know the show. He didn't watch the show. And when he, he asked her more, well, what do you mean? She says, oh yeah, it's on, they do these uh, marathons. They do eight, 10 in a row and all this. He panicked a little bit and withdrew the offer. And I went from ecstatic to, okay, well, that's the other side of the coin. And I use the coin term on purpose because it has put me in a situation where I'm pretty comfortable now and I can take care of my family and friends and organizations I believe in. But part of that is they're gonna see Craig. So what I try to do is I'll change up everything. I'll put a wig on, I'll do this, I'll wear the glasses. I'll, you know what I mean? I'll just go in and do something absolutely different. When they allow that, it usually works out okay too. You have to be transformational. And you know that, I mean, you know what I mean? You do repertory theater, you play different parts. People just lock in on you. And uh, so you have to shake it up a little bit. When you think about your long career in acting, are there any do-overs that you think you would like to have? That's a very interesting question. I will say this. I'm not going to say do-overs, but there have definitely been times when something came along and maybe I felt they should have offered a little more money or something and I passed. And then when I saw it, I thought, well, that was pretty good. <laughs> I wish I had done that. But, um, but the choice I made at the time was reasoned and, you know, I, you pay the piper, that's all, you know. And, the, and there have been a few. I mean, I've, I think about that sometimes. Like I say, I never thought I was going to be doing television. Never thought I'd wind up on a show that was going to last for years and years and years. But I'm grateful. It's a good show. It's a quality show. It's, I think it's, it, it's a part of television history. I mean, the original tied the longest running show ever. And then I did 15 years on SVU. I mean, that's unheard of, you know, but 
now I'm trying to wedge myself back into the game in a different way. But it's, you know, no do-overs, just, you know, there is some lost shots in there. And you're coming close to the end of your 80 years, so you've still got room to make a change, a serious change, if you feel it's important. you got the game plan is in place. It's true. I've been looking into uh, air conditioning work. I'm, you know, so it's there. i got a backup. There's a market for it out here, that's for darn sure. Tell us, uh, you, you direct as well. Mm-hmm. Tell us about how you find work to direct or that work finds you. I think a big part of it is this. Most of the directing has been in uh, the theater. And most of it has been people I know, uh, playwrights that I know, or theater companies that I know, and I'm just invited. And that's very nice. The television directing uh, was from Law and & Order. And it was one of the uh, executive producers, Ed Sharon, a wonderful director. And he said, he, he came to me and he said, I, I, I can see your eye. I see you watching. I see that you're absorbing all of this. I want you to direct on the show. So that's how it started. And he also mentored me. He allowed me time to work with certain people. Then I worked with uh, our DP, Gus Macris, who has uh, won Emmys and went from being a DP to a director. And I observed him for several episodes. And then, you know, I also felt that I had an incredible support support group because they had worked with me as an actor. That was my next question. How'd that go down with your colleagues? All of a sudden, Dan is now directing. Who does he think he is? No, I think, you know, uh, the interesting part is a number of people did do that. There were guys uh, in the crew who all became directors. And it really, it was a welcome welcoming situation it really was i just was careful about with my co-stars if i wanted to jostle them a little bit or just you know give them a little nudge something i almost always did it kind of privately or very quietly were you uh directing episodes that you were also in as craigan uh only once only once that was something they didn't want to do and there was one that they decided to put in a couple of scenes where they felt the captain should be there. Dan, you mentioned mentorship a few moments ago, and you appearing on this podcast is you're really acting in a, as a mentor in a way for younger people who want to get into this field in one way or another. What would be your top advice with respect to what it takes to be successful, regardless of what your discipline is? I'm going to go... Uh against the grain here, okay? What I'm going to say is don't think so much about acting. Don't think so much about directing. Go to museums. Look at art. Listen to all kinds of music. Read uh, all kinds of literature, great literature, uh, purple prose. Because when you start to act and when you're doing that, all of that stuff is going to help to inform what you're doing. And what I have found is people get so locked into acting, they're in acting classes for the rest of their lives. And you know there's so much more out there. Mentor, work with the elderly, work with kids, do these things. You will learn more than you can from most books. So you're saying that life experience is very important. I think I hear you saying that. And, and the more experience you have in life, is going to improve you as a cinematographer, as an editor, as an actor, anything really. Everything you said as a writer, absolutely. And uh, 
it's going to make you a, a, a better storyteller. You know what I mean? You're going to feel in touch with these things. And I just think it's a great way to go. And when you have downtime, instead of worrying about, like, when am I going to work again, you're working right now, you know, if you want to. It's all grist for the mill. I'm a firm believer in that nothing is wasted. The experience as a security guard at the Kmart may be what you need to do at the moment to get through the summer. If you're in the moment, if you absorb what there is to absorb there, which is uh, looking, watching, listening, you never know when that chopper is going to arrive. That's probably your brother Dave, you know. That's probably Dave circling the pool. I think it's the Red Cross bringing in coffee and donuts. <laughs> I was echoing Dan's remark by saying that I didn't think any of what we often consider obstructions or distractions from, from acting are anything but grist for the mill and that nothing is wasted. You don't know when, but I'd like to promise you that at some point, the argument you either saw or were a part of in the barbershop or the shoe store or on the street will come back to help you create a character or be more true to the situation you're trying to portray. I agree with that uh, completely. And it's like I remember having to work at Ford Motor Company and work uh, kind of a bad shift. And I was in hot metal and I was thinking, man, I don't want to do this. But I met some of the most fun, odd, interesting people who have become parts of characters that I've played, the way they talk, phrases that they used. You know what I mean? I agree. If you keep yourself open, you start, you know, putting it away in the computer and in your pocket and wherever, you're going to use it more often than you think. Dan, thanks very much for sharing the insight with us and the, uh, and the excitement of uh, uh, coming to visit us here at the Chateau Marmont and connecting again and reconnecting. There are a number of things I'd like to explore with this gentleman, so I, I'm going to take advantage of that now by inviting him to return uh, when and if it's convenient for all of us so we can chat again. I would love to. It has been a pleasure. It brings back a lot of memories. And uh, yes, yeah, so, because I have stories that we should get to about this. Thank you very much. You bet. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity. <laughs>